Hello. Hello. Hi, guys. I'm Cassidy. And I'm Abby. And this week we have... Me, Cherish. (laughs) (laughs) We have Cherish, my mentor, teacher, and friend on the pod, Big Day, Cherish Robinson. Teacher of the pod, teacher of the pod. Teacher of the pod, mentor of the pod. And she is joining us to talk about the musical Passing Strange this week. I'm so excited to be here, guys. Thank you so much for having me. Cherish, tell us some stuff about you. Um, here's some stuff. Well, uh, as I stated before we got here, I'm closer to 40 than I am 30. <laughs> I'm a Libra. <laughs> oh. But my favorite sign is sail. Let's see. What else about me? I, I also love a sale sign. <laughs> uh, as a Leo, I too love a sale sign. <laughs> so yeah, I I mean I do the whole thing with arts. Arts just gets me going. I'm a music director, a musician, a singer, a vocal teacher. Can vouch. She's a bomb vocal teacher, folks. Yeah, I don't do. I play the organ. I play the drums. I paint. I sing. I don't know what else I I do. I do a lot of things. I'm a producer. I'm a songwriter. I'm an arranger. I'm a composer. Cherish does it all. Are you also an author? Didn't I hear a little birdie? Soon to be author. Um, I'm I'm working on a book called The Vocal Parallel, and it's about um, finding clarity on the road to artistry. Oh, that's uh, so cool. Yeah. That that sounds like something I need to read. Uh, and it's wonderful, and it's it's literally for artists, especially uh, singers. It comes with a planner that you can you know kind of see your life, see your goals every day, make sure you're on top of them, keeping you know keep it, keeping accountability for yourself because that's kind of hard in this in this life, uh, especially when um, there's an Armageddon slash Wintergeddon <laughs> outside. Yes, two out of three members of the pod right now are currently coming to you from the historic Texas snowstorm. Yeah. Who knew, right? Truly. We're all bundled up. What does that even mean? A snowstorm in Texas. Like, and and it's sticking. Like, I don't know. I I was really there. When I woke up, it was still there the next day, which is not an experience I'm used to. The other one third, the other one third being me, Abby, (laughs) is actually... Five, ten blocks from where Passing Strange takes place. No joke. I'm not going to say where I live too much, but I live very close to there. Yes. (laughs) Very cool. Love it. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. It's really cool. So we're going to dive in, bullshitters, because there's a lot to discuss. This is kind of serving as our Black History Month episode, but we wanted it to be the whole month originally as well and have that be season two. And then Abby and I also kept running into the problem of a lot of mainstream musicals about blackness, having white production teams and authors and felt also with our positionality, unsure of how to properly critique that. And if it was worth like giving this platform to, I wrote down a list of popular musicals about the black experience written by white teams. And we have Ragtime, Once on this Island, The Color Purple, Ain't Misbehaving, Dream Girls. And then Carolina Change, the book of it was written by Tony Kushner. And then musicals, mainstream musicals with black production teams being Shuffle Along, Passing Strange, Strange Loop, which came out in 2019 and won the Pulitzer and The Wiz. I think it's important to note that Passing Strange also has 
white people on its production team because yes, it's Stu's music, but he wrote it with his girlfriend who I wish that I knew the name of off the top of my head. You're okay. Oh, Heidi Rodewald. Yes. Rodewald? Rodewald. Hmm. I think. Oh. Rodewald. Oh. Rodewald. Well, Listeners, Cherish was in a production of Passing Strange as well. Um, Cherish, what was your involvement with Passing Strange and where was it? So I played two characters, Renata and Desi. I okay. Mm. And at the very beginning, um, before my, my characters uh, have actual names, I played like uh, different small parts, like uh, a person in the church or a... Um, one of his best friends growing up in school and um but the biggest characters that i did I, it was desi and renata where did you do this production at theater three in dallas texas and here's the gag Stu came to see the show <gasps> whoa no way i didn't know that he came to see the show one production and i remember seeing him in the audience and i was like damn he really looks like Stu. he really <laughs> really and then some people like during during intermission, you know, during our, our fifteen minute intermission, we were just like, "Does that guy look like Stu?" And so then, yeah, yeah, we were all freaking out. Yeah, does that guy look like Stu? We were like, "Okay, somebody get in touch with the front desk to maybe see the names who bought tickets tonight." And his name wasn't on, you know, wasn't up there. Stu, right? <laughs> Stu, <laughs> ticket for one. But from what I, from what I understand, he goes and sees some of the productions, and Aww. and I'm sure that he goes under different names. I'm definitely sure of that. But he wore the hat. He had on a suit that looks just like him, and he sat near the front row. And I just remember I, I actually was singing "Calm Down Now," that 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 little song at the very end, mm. and I was like, "Did I just sing yeah. some of this shit to Stu?" <laughs> huh. <laughs> huh. Lovely. But we we don't know we, we we still don't know for sure. Oh my god. Man, I, I don't know. I think I I think it was him. I do remember That's super cool. him coming up to me after the show and said and he said, You did a great job. And he said he had an accent that was not Texan. And I was like, Y'all, that was him. That that was him. <laughs> I think it was him, <laughs> but, but I don't know. We, we still don't know. I'm going to believe it was him. We like to assume that every famous person is a listener of the pod. So Stu, we yeah. know you're yeah. listening. Please confirm and yeah. reach out. Yep. Please confirm. <laughs> <laughs> Please peanut butter us, Stu. Also, Church, this is a pro singing podcast. So any little riffs you want to throw in there from the show, right. more than welcome. <laughs> That's literally all I remember of this show. Perfect. And you know what? To be totally honest, mm-hmm. um, it, I, it's so funny. I just became an actor not too long ago. At my, That's so true, is, actually. This year marks the fourth year. And this yeah. this, uh, this February marks my fourth year of, of acting. And um, Passing Strange is my first professional show. Yeah. Oh, pop off. Wait, that's so yeah. sweet. So I, it's got a really special place in my Abby heart. Cherish was also Janet when I was in Rocky Horror. <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah, it was pretty badass. It was pretty badass. What's yeah. What's the bald one's name who opens the door? Riff Raff? That was me. Uh, nice. Riffraff. Riffraff vibes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I was going to give a little dramaturgy before Fly Die Retry, just because I know most of our listeners probably haven't heard about this musical that much. 
Do we want to do that or do we want to make Cherish play Ben Hur Oh, first? yeah, that's what we need to do first. You're absolutely right. All right, Cherish. So I'm going to get a timer ready. I got it. Oh, this is going to be pretty easy. Do I have to say the full one minute? Or can I you just know, like if say- you've got under a minute, go to town. As long as you feel you've encapsulated the plot, you are done. Okay. I'm about to be impressed. And go. It's about an African-American boy who has to learn the li- his life's lessons um, through pretty much everywhere he goes. And the universe keeps teaching him this lesson, but he won't listen until the very end, until something really big happens. The end. Wow. What a concise, arty director's statement Cherish just made. Look at that, Abby. What's that time? What's that time like? 45 seconds left. You took 15 (laughs) seconds of your minute. Me and Cassidy go over by minutes sometimes. I would, but I would also, in some dramaturgy info, a lot of this show was based on Buddhism and um, Stu's connection to it. So it is simultaneously interesting that it is a show that doesn't have the most linear plot. But it actually uh, does. I, I'm the, I, okay, yeah. here's, here's why. We had so many, the cast, uh, it was like family. And, and that sounds so cliche, but it really is. No, but that's is, great. We're missing the theater magic these days. We'll take the cliches. It's the best time. It really is. Exactly. <laughs> it really is so cliche that we were a family. Like it was only seven of us, seven of us in the cast, I believe. Wow, that's and small. we all played multiple roles except youth and um the mc or stew whatever you want to call that particular character i think the narrator the narrator yeah mm-hmm. the narrator youth and mother they all stayed the same they all pretty much stayed the same but everyone else we played these different roles and i just remember we were so nerd we all of us were nerds i mean we were nerds to the core as it <laughs> pertained to the script we would always come to each other and be like, oh my gosh, okay, listen to the revelation that I thought about when I was at a point and I, oh, and I got this. Oh, uh, listen to this oh. line. Doesn't this line sound like blah, 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 blah? And then we were like, yes. And so, and then we put it on stage. We put it on stage and it was, every night we'd get some form of revelation that we had not thought of before. And the spirit of the piece moved us every freaking time we we did this and so it didn't it it didn't necessarily you have it was one of those things where you have to see it more than once or you need to know what what it's about it's kind of like hamilton like you may not get it at at the first Mm. time unless you maybe listen to the cast recording first and then go and see it if you you know if rap is not your thing but passing strange was was the exact same way for me i had to sit with it and then I had to listen to everybody else. So it, it kind of moved linearly. It, he was a young boy and he grew up in the church. Mm-hmm. He thought that, you know, he, it, this is not where he wanted to be religiously. And he thought to go against the grain, he was going to move here. But the universe kept teaching him this lesson everywhere he went. And he didn't get it until mm-hmm. the, the passing of his mother at the very end he didn't he didn't learn his lesson but he had to keep going to these different places yeah he, he thought that if he'd left wherever he was the lesson would just dissipate and then he could move on mm-hmm. but it, it wasn't it mm-hmm. wasn't like that and so 
he learned multiple lessons. There, there were there were actual multiple lessons, but he just didn't get to learn it until um, his mom died, and that put life into perspective. I really liked in sort of what Cherish is describing in the articles that I read that they described this story as like an odyssey of yeah. sorts. Yeah. And I think that totally is a proper word to use for what this is and why I think it works so theatrically. Uh, I don't want to get into my take yet. But Cherish, what do you think that lesson is that he needed to learn? Because we go ahead and we spoil things for the audience. If they're listening and haven't seen it, then then they're going to know what the ending is. Like, it's how we digest everything. So what do you think that, like, core lesson is that he needed to learn? Love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they have that big song that, like, just because you can love someone without properly understanding them. Mm-hmm. And how you have to learn mm-hmm. to accept love from people who don't understand you. Exactly. I was just going to say, at the heart of every... You know what? I, I say this with every show. Every show has one... It not only was about love... But it was the bigger theme was time. And I say this with every show. Mm. Any show that you watch, the plot is always time. Always. Always. Yeah, think, that's think true. About every, think about every show you've ever watched. It's always It's like time. man versus self, man versus time. Man, man, I, and, it, and it's time. It, it's, it's about man, man, versus, man versus man and the time it takes for him to, you know, get things understood. It's about the, the core of every musical and not only every musical, but the reality of everything we do is time. And so he had to learn, what do I do with love in time and space? What do I do with love as far as it deals, you know, as it concerns with acceptance? What do I do with love um, in the time that I have with my mother? What do I do with love in the time that I have as a person in the world that that traverses in the world what do i freaking do and so that's the that's the lesson that he had to learn he had to learn what do i do with self in time and and how do i make the the most of it so he goes to i believe it's la is where he's from he he lives his mm-hmm. life in la and and he goes against the grain with his mother we see that um the bickering and it, and and it kind of has like a for me it has um it's almost kind of like in three acts because he's in LA and then he moves to, um, yes. the, I, I can't remember the second city he moves to. Is it New York? It's Amsterdam, Amsterdam. after LA, no. right? No, that's the third one. Or what, Oh, then it's probably New York I before. I thought Berlin was Oh the third. yeah, Berlin is after Amsterdam. Was, yeah. So it's, Amst- okay. So it's, it's, it's LA, Amsterdam, then Berlin. And then yes. he comes back yeah. home to LA. So he had yeah. to figure out and, and, and it, Honestly, you know, at the yes. end of the day, it's it's the it's the who am I as it relates to time, and and he had to figure out who he was. He knew that he didn't want to be in the church. He knew that when he got to Amsterdam, but that that was the thing. His his church followed him. His 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 whole being of who he was followed him to Amsterdam, and then he was just like, "Screw this! I'm so, about to leave and go to." And that that same issue followed him to Berlin and then screw this. And then as he's trying to become somebody else that he's not going against the grain of what he knows, his mom dies and he has to go back home to learn his original lesson. And, and that is the biggest mistake that we all don't want to make. We don't want to figure out life after something negative has happened, after something is taken away. I think that's why it's so important to 
to to listen to um to listen to take heed to others who have come before us so that we don't yeah. make those same mistakes and that is literally what parents do they they try and let us know don't make these freaking mistakes cuz i did and yeah. and he and he had to come all he had to go all the way across the world just to come back home to understand that one little bitty lesson that he could have learned when he was 15 it's true. For my listeners who haven't seen this, it's a very stripped down production. It's very black chairs and the band on stage, which I enjoyed a lot and thought it was creative. I think let's go into Fly Die Retry because I'm starting to give opinions. So okay. Cherish. Sorry, I don't know how this works. No, so, we do it exactly just, like this. Okay. We talk until we remember our structure and then we go back to our structure. <laughs> some weeks it's about our personal lives. Some weeks it's about the musicals. It really okay. just takes us where the wind goes. It really ebbs and flows. So do you think this musical should fly exactly as it is? It continues to be released in the world. Die. It should not be reproduced anymore or retry. It needs small tweaks or large tweaks to work in today's world. I'm also going to add that it came out in 2007, folks. It went from the pub. It went from Berkeley Rep to the public to the Belasco. Ms. Broadway herself. All right, Cherish. Fly, die, retry. I would say fly and and maybe retry if it comes back. I would love to hear some of the music kind (laughs) of, as Jack McFarlane would say, spramped up. It's not a real yeah, word, fair. but I would love to hear some of the music uh, reinvented. One of the things that I, that was very problematic for me as uh, the person that was in the show is that all of this material was written for, you could tell it was written by a man. Um, there were so many low songs. I, I yes, remember, Trish, again, get into now, it. Yeah, Come Down Now was just like, this is what we come like. down now. And I'm like, why am I down here? And I'm just driving you into the ground. I should be right here. You know, come down now. That's where I should really have been. But the because he was a guy and he didn't really, I I felt, and a lot of the women in the show felt that that it was written by a guy who was not cognizant of a soprano or an alto uh, voicings. So pretty much all Mm -hmm. of these keys were written. That that were singable for Stu or for Heidi, who has a, a lower voice, so it wasn't as musical as a queen. yeah. Was were his albums really big? Is this someone like Abby and I should have known before doing this? Because like I didn't, you know, like I don't know who Stu is. Like, was he that famous, or what? Did he just like have a following before yeah, writing this? Uh, I can't remember. It was called the, the Negro something. The, his band. yeah, in songbook, I think the it's Stu and the and the Negro Problem. There it is. Ah. Stu, Stu and the Negro Problem. And Heidi was in the in that band as as well. Ooh. But the majority of the band, it's funny. I think that was a play on words because the majority of the band was white. So which is okay. the Negro ah, Problem. Ah, ah, gotcha, yeah. gotcha, gotcha. I love it. <laughs> um, and by the way, that word is okay to say in that type of setting. I just want to let you know, like if you are... It's not okay to at it someone. Cherish, we haven't exactly established your positionality, but if you want to like introduce that into the room since our listeners can't see you. Oh, yes, I am uh, black and unapologetically <laughs> so. Yes, yes. <laughs> Just it, like, uh, I don't need anyone writing into the pod being like, who do you have speaking on this? But I mean, if, you know, if you're talking about 
th- that particular band, the Negro, but like that, that's, it's an okay thing to say. I'm no one is, is going to get offended from that. Um, it's when you just leave other words out and, <laughs> and then, you know, yeah. Some people looking for any excuse, unfortunately, <laughs> but I get you, I get you. Thank you, Truly thank you for that, you know, um, for, for being cognizant of that at least. So, uh, yeah, for sure. I, I, I totally think, but to answer, I guess your initial question, the, the, I, I definitely think it should fly. It is a, a story. One of the things that I do like about it is that it's not your typical, uh, African-American show because Stu mm-hmm. is very deeply rooted in, in rock and roll. And that's one of the things that you saw at the very beginning of the show, him loving this music, uh, rock music. In, in the show, he has a, he has a little kid band, a little, little garage band, if you will. And uh, mm-hmm. I actually played one of the members of, the, of his band and they would practice, you know, and they sounded horrible. They were supposed to sound really, really horrible. But mm-hmm. it was to show that th- there's a second layer and it deals with color. But it's so beautifully written that it's not a story about race. That's not the, the forefront of the yeah. story. And that's what I that's what I really love about this uh, about this musical. But I, I, I totally think Stu, he, you know, he was a, a, a musician in his own right. I don't really know. Okay. I was just making sure, you know, I didn't know if he was just like outside our generation or someone we should have heard of. I had never, I'd never heard of him prior to that. I, and actually, let me not say I have never heard of him. I remember hearing about Passing Strange, you know, mm-hmm. even though I just recently got into acting, my brother has always mm-hmm. been an actor and I would see his shows all the time and I would hear him talk about different things. And so I remember hearing a little bit of Passing Strange but not enough to where it stopped me in my tracks and I needed to know. Yeah, I was saying mm-hmm. the only reason I heard of the show really cherish is because you were in it. And I was like, oh, let me listen to this soundtrack or cast album. I'm sorry, don't roast me. And <laughs> yeah, Abby, fly, die or retry. I think it's an absolute fly. I really, really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it because of its... I texted Cassidy before this, actually. A little bit of Rent shade. I think it does what Rent and American Idiot wanted to do, but more successfully in how its story unfolded over music. My problem with Rent when I watched it, not when I saw it live, but when I watched it for the pod and for all those listeners out there who listened to our Ren episode, you'll remember that I was so confused on the timeline. I had no idea what happened when. I was like, wait, this isn't a day. This is a whole year. What's going on? I, I just like really struggled with little story things. And I'm typically pretty good about those things. So I was like, mm, not my fault. And I also think that I had the same problem. I When I saw American Idiot live, I literally fell asleep. Oh, I loved American Idiot. That's such a shame. Literally fell asleep. Because this show, nobody has names and there is a narrator character who was typically played by Stu back when it was on Broadway and at the Public and in Berkeley. And I struggled to follow the narrative in American Idiot. I struggled to care about this like guy who had all this angst inside of him and that's why he needed this music. And yet youth which is the main character that you follow on his odyssey throughout Passing Strange, had the same, he had similar angst. Um, obviously it had different cultural backgrounds, but similar angst and found similar music. They're a little different for sure, but I cared about his journey. And I think that was part of how the story was like built and the book was made. And I just really enjoyed it all around. And I, 
really enjoyed the production that Cassidy and I watched, which was the recording of the Broadway production that's on YouTube. I was going to take this moment to shout out Spike Lee, who actually personally commissioned that this show be filmed. And he bought the rights to it. Like, this is technically Spike Lee's movie, Passing Strange. And what he did with that platform was just record it as is and preserve it. And so, like... We shouldn't we shouldn't a be relying on black artists to preserve black art. That is not the burden that should be placed on them and only them. But it is I was very happy to see that this was accessible and that this was out there and that this was something someone deemed that should be preserved and recorded because even a lot of big things on Broadway, Broadway, like a lot of multimillion dollar productions don't get recorded or preserved in this way. So I was happy that no, was, it was done. Awesome. I'm a fly. It was so great. I think it's important. It was good and important for me to watch this right after, like two episodes after Mean Girls, where I said these are the kinds of shows that are clogging up Broadway. I think that is preventing art like this from coming into the mainstream more. And I think that's what's interesting about Broadway and compelling about Broadway. And yeah, it might not make it the same tourist hub. But as we're going into movie adaptation after movie adaptation coming onto Broadway and selling and selling and selling, this is what we're missing. And pieces like this are what we're missing and the authenticity behind it and not having that and not like, yeah, he had some albums, but he wasn't getting the funding that someone else who's who got to go from who started at the public hamilton started at the public and had he started at berkeley rep actually it started at berkeley then public and had such a smaller budget obviously and yeah i think it's important that we give that show a platform and like there's no denying that most of our audience has never heard of this show before yeah and i think i'll um, on adding on to a couple of cassidy's points that just I, when i was doing my research sometimes when i or watch a show, I'm like, okay, I'm like retry. And I don't know which way it's going to go yet. And I do research and like The King and I, I'd started on retry, of course. That's That was our very first episode last season. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I started doing my research and that is when I slipped deep into die. And I started doing my research on this. I was already fly. And I was just like, the birch, the wings, the flapping, we're going so high. We're just flying so high. Because on that same point, Cass, the director for this, Annie Doran, maybe Ann Doran. I can't get names right. I think it's Annie. I have Annie right. Annie Dorson. You got the last name wrong, though. Damn it. <laughs> I questioned the first name and I had the last name wrong. You were so close. Annie Dorson. Annie Dorson. Correct. I should have followed my instincts. But my instincts are usually wrong, so <laughs> it's hard to follow. She hasn't done another Broadway production since. Interesting. She was on that project because she's got this really cool, in, like, she's all about algorithmic theater. She was a MacArthur Fellow. I'm a big fan of her now. Wow. I want to be a MacArthur Fellow so bad. But not important. <laughs> Manifest it, Abby. You will be a MacArthur Fellow. Anybody want to anybody wanna give me that fellowship? <laughs> Anyways. But a lot of their conversation, her and Stu's conversations were about making this an experimental theater piece, like not a traditional looking or feeling theater piece. They did not think this was going to get picked up by Broadway. And I just think that they stayed true to themselves as artists at every turn. And like, yes, that brought conversations that brought conflict, of course. And Annie Dorson says that and Stu says that in all of their interviews, they're very open and blatant about that. But I just respect so much that it was these people who had a vision and wanted to create that vision and the 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 
power of pure intention on wanting to create a vision that they saw so clearly took them all the way to Broadway. Like that, I just, I love that so much. And I, I you know, I, I kind of, here's what I feel because I, I, I don't know if, if we can segue into this. The, um, the white director. Yeah, no, perfect. White, this is exactly where I was going to segue us next, Cherish. Yeah. You know what? I'm okay with that. I, I, I'm one yeah. of those mm-hmm. people. I'm okay with white people helping me tell a black story. Um, as long as you are asking the right questions and you're getting the right information, because it, it's such a, especially there, there's some things that are when, when talking to a black audience or when trying to elevate a, a black storyline, there's cultural aspects mm-hmm. that you, that have to be actual, you know, actually genuine. And if they're not, mm-hmm. we hear it and, and, and we want no parts of it. And, and sometimes mm-hmm. what, what I can appreciate about, you know, let's say, let's just, let's just keep it with this music with Passing Strange is that they, they presented what happens in the black church and presented mm-hmm. what happens, you know, to, to black I felt culture. it was very insider knowledge vibes. It was very like, if you were raised in this, you know what we're referring to. And if not, this is just kind of a song and dance that's and moving its, its way universal. on through. Yeah, it's still, it you, is. Can, you can still hear exactly what would happen and not necessarily be like be lost in in translation yeah so that and was I, that I was really mama said you that. had to go to the baptist fashion show um and they do that whole number and that's a really big thing like fashion shows in the church that's a thing you yeah know, that we would we would do that i remember doing it when i was little and, and it would be something out of your own collection and, you know, it, they would raise money for, you know, the youth building fund. You know, they want to add a, add a, you know, a room to the youth or they want to bring a heater to the elderly. At We would do things like this. You know, the, the, the Baptist fashion, we would do things like this. And to other people, it just seems like a, a really cool element in the story. But I, I love that. I, I don't mind white people helping me tell a black story as long as you are very open and understanding and you're listening to what is culturally appropriate in for, for storytelling. I have a follow up quote. This is a great point. Segue into this quote. In an interview with Stu, he said that they wanted the performance to feel like a black church situation with call and response and people feeling like they are a part of the moment, not observing the moment, yes. you know. And and that's what happens in the black in the black church. We have something called a call and response and it's very ancestral. And the call and response comes from, you know, in, from the days of slavery and I would say even beyond, but we don't know because our history was stripped away from us obvious for obvious reasons. But in slavery mm-hmm. time, we would sing and we would have a rhythm, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, wait in the water, uh, wait in the water, children, wait. That is not just a song about waiting in the water. That song meant wait in the water. God's going to trouble the water. Harriet Tubman or someone who knows how to free slaves is going to come to this water and and free you and trouble these waters. It, it, God's going to trouble the water. Something is going mm-hmm. to epically happen for you within these waters, but you have to wait. 
all these braids that the that us women wear, that us black women wear, they were maps. They were they were maps. Mm. They were maps first, not just a beautiful thing that we we did. They were maps on how to get free, and and so there there is a, there is beauty in in what that is, and and if you're Broadway nerds like ourselves, this is something that we study. You know, this is something that that for me, I, I definitely studied, and I and I know that the call and response, he put that in there for more reasons than to just be a cool moment. They were in. Yeah. yeah. And there's also the environmental component too of like a collective community exercise at the start of a piece too, really settles people in and an extra layer of that. If that's something you're familiar with already that you're like, because if it's a new task, it's still an exercise. Yeah. I, I just wanted to expand this past this show for a little bit because the point of Abby and I starting this podcast was really to start the conversation of if we're going to reform the industry, we need to reform mm-hmm. the canon. We need to the works that we're putting on in high schools and that we're using as educational tools and that we're putting on and profiting off of what are they saying about us? What are they promoting? What messages are they putting forward? And so I think as as the pandemic shutdown began to happen, we saw a push for black artists and a push for black theater artists. And I wish I could pull up the name of the account that was posting like not demands, but kind of a contract of sorts. We see you white American theater. Yes. Thank you, Abby, so much. We see you white American theater was an Instagram account that came out and started discussing this. What, and this is a very loaded question to put on you, but what is the path forward from this as we continue to give, to give people the reins who don't have the lived experience, per yeah. se, to be telling the story? I know. <laughs> she said loaded question and then she wasn't wrong. I was like, oh man. Yeah. Could you just solve the uh, racial inequality in theater really quickly? <laughs> I'm not wrong. I just, I just feel like I would be doing us a disservice to not properly launch since this is what we're supposed to be about. I think the answer to that question, Cassidy, is to remember why we're in this business. We have to remember that it's the art first. It's the art of storytelling first. It's the tapping into one's emotion to through escapism to mm-hmm. find clarity through reality. And if we do that, I think we can get back to what what we need. We can get back to what we need, and what we need is uh, is is movement. What we need is is movement. That's what art does. Art moves me. It moves. And it's me interesting and it, and that you're saying that too, with the theme of passing strange being that art is the way to make sense of life. Those are like his closing words of the yeah. show. That art is how we are coping with how the decks are stacked against everyone and how unfair everything is. And it was twofold. It, he he said that because that's where you know it, it was through art that the youth was trying to find himself. It was you know he he found himself with with people with like minded artists. And then he was speaking to the public. He was speaking through to you, to you, generally speaking. He was speaking <laughs> yeah. to, to us. And to me, to me specifically, Abby. <laughs> and to us, and to us white women, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yes. He, he was speaking to us all, saying that through art, 
we we are able to to sift through um uh, our, our lives and see again reality so much clearer and i think that's what we need to do we've got to get back to the to why we are in this business why we are being moved to this here's here's the gag <laughs> the gag Ooh, let's go <laughs> is broadway is becoming very mainstream and and then the b-roll you know mm-hmm. um it mainstream enough for our podcast to be super famous and us to make money off of it do you think yes <laughs> <laughs> all right listeners that's on you that's on you but, but you know everything that's popular is more so you know the it's more so white people and then you have things that are very hyper futuristic hyper surrealism like the whiz that mm-hmm. you know at face value may not necessarily teach you a lesson but if you again if you sift through it you can get it but people don't want to walk away they think the whiz is too weird i hear that a lot from white people really oh see i grew up with the whiz that's weird that's interesting that they think that i think the whiz is weird but the, the wizard that but that wicked is like normal. yeah yes. totally cool with wicked yeah and they they, they <laughs> don't see the art aspect because it, it's it it's what? different. They, yeah, I, I've had I've had more that than is so one lame. person. That is than, so I, lame. I would say more than five people tell me that that the wow. way is just weird. And and you know what? It it is. But sometimes art is that way. I mean, like how yeah. weird do we often think Andy Warhol is? Like I think Andy Warhol <laughs> is the weirdest artist. But he's given us so much. Except, anyways, more of my story is. <laughs> in the same in the same um retrospect as we, you know as the radio when we listen to the radio we hear those same seven songs being re- you know repeated mm-hmm. that's that's mm-hmm. what's happening to broadway right now we hear these same seven mm-hmm. musicals and maybe mm-hmm. one of them has a black feature <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? mm-hmm. like jagged like, little pill kind of did that they're like hey um, our story's not about that much but the lead is one of the leads yeah. is black yeah be, be more chill, chill. yeah if then yeah you got that one black feature and the and and you yep. know and it's one of those songs that's ah, yeah, yeah, ah, black. and he'll be raw and you're like yep okay i i i i heard it and and i i i think cassie i went all over the world with before no, i know that's that absolutely answer, what i want i, I I really yeah, think if we go back to the the heart and soul of what art is supposed to do, it's supposed to challenge us. It's supposed to mm-hmm. uh, tap into the subconscious, tap into the consciousness, um, tap into the wokeness of who we are and speak to that person and let us see, again, reality clearer. And that's what we need. We need storytellers from everywhere, from all aspects mm-hmm. of, of the gamut. I want to see a Native American musical talking oh, about. I know. You know I, I, w- I want to see, you know, a real Asian musical. We talk about how we're really sad that Allegiance bombed. Mm. Allegiance had potential. So sad. And see, no so one sad. wants to do that. Like, e- even now, in every city that you go to, there's probably a black theater rep company. There's probably. Yeah, Dallas a, Black Theater. A, a Dallas Black Theater, a soul rep. Um, Jubilee, yeah, that's that's all in Dallas. And every time I do a show in some of those places, I see 
no white faces at all. Maybe yeah. two. And and mm-hmm. you can put white people have the power to put things on mainstream if they mm-hmm. let it. And and I think that's what we just have to get back to. It's the art. And and my art doesn't look like your art. My culture does not look like yours. And that's okay. You just have to give it a voice and mm-hmm. and not think going in that oh it won't make it uh, it won't make any money. They said that with Black Panther Panther and before, you know, Yeah, that's an important point. Is people would have it's not to say that like if you know, we have to give these shows an extra platform because they need our help. It's just rather that when you have a 13 million dollar musical budget and you're and it's an adaptation of a multi-million dollar box off box office movie. You're calling in whiteness. You're calling in um, just a lot of what's going to sell tickets. I I say this probably every three episodes, but yet another reminder that the average Broadway ticket buyer is an upper middle class, 52 year old white woman. And you know what? And that's the other thing. Make Broadway available, accessible again. Uh, Accessibility. I cannot say it enough. Why the fuck are you selling a Hamilton ticket? The show that people need to see the most in this this day and age. Why is this ticket $2,000? Okay. Uh, Educational outreach methods are so important. That's literally the whole thing I want to go into. If you are a show, have an educational outreach plan, have your free shows planned, have how you're going to engage with the community plan. Please, we're begging you. This is some of the best part of art, sharing it with people who wouldn't have seen it prior. It makes me upset because we've gouged these ticket prices and art is already, we already have elitist boundaries around art. Even if we take the price tag away, we're like, oh, it's intellectual. We won't let you in if we don't deem you smart enough. And now we also put a price tag on it. And that's huge. One of the highlights before this year went crazy. Two years went crazy cuckoo balls. Um, seeing Madison Square Garden filled for To Kill a Mockingbird with all the New York City school students. Oh my goodness. Just to see the power that that has and that someone gave it that platform and that we were able to do that. And they did that for a week, I think. I don't believe that was one day get on in there. It was everyone come see this show. And that's that's huge. There's studies. And even just like, yeah, just like little things to make things more accessible. Like the fact that I didn't have to source a bootleg for this and that Cassidy was able to share with me the Spike product, like recorded version of this production. There are a couple of changes. It's just like little things to make Broadway more accessible. That's why I get so angry when people like, what is it? Patty Lapone will literally stop a show. Patty, I know you're listening. Yes. I need you to listen through this and not get defensive. It's okay, sweetie. I still really respect the hell out of you. But Patty Lapone can will like stop a show if she sees somebody recording in the audience. And I'm like, Patty. You, A, don't know what that person needed to do in order to be able to afford this ticket. B, you don't know who else this person is trying to make this experience. You, you are the experience. They are so enamored by you that they want to record you to be able to either see you again later for themselves or share with people, which I don't understand why that is something you should want to stop. I understand if it's distracting from your performance that it has to be like a moment where this person has to be taken out of the world. And I understand that frustration. So an audience member being taken out of your world while you're performing live in front of them. Absolutely. Producers start making recordings. Yeah. Just start making them available. Give yourself that. If you, even if it's two years after it closes on Broadway, 
that would be great. You know, make all the money you need out of it. And you could even make a little money this way. If you charge people like two bucks, that would still be a lot more accessible. And you could still really do it. And we're seeing Broadway HD kind of come to be. And we're seeing, mm -hmm. what is the other one? Broadway um, Box? Oh, we're seeing oh, yeah, the prom. No, no. I hear that's not as good, though. But I do hear yeah. that, it, I heard that it, it's like got six shows or something on it. Yeah. Broadway HD is pretty okay, but it's, yeah. Inaccessibility to shows is just some good old-fashioned Broadway bullshit. Yeah, Broadway bullshit, yeah. for sure. <laughs> I, I really do believe it. I, and, and, it's, and that's the type of Broadway bullshit that needs to be out there, it, uh, especially for people who can't afford it. But for, because I, I can only imagine um, a, a person like myself, you know, growing up, I don't think I would have been ever afforded to see uh, a Broadway show if I lived in New York. I, I you know, I, I don't come from a, 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 a rich middle class, not even a middle class background. And so for me to want to do that, I wouldn't have known that it was possible. I would be and, mm -hmm. and I did exactly what I what I did. And even with my brother, I, I just kind of remember him and his career. Um, He was able to see I, I don't think he was able to see a, a Broadway show until he was older, until he was able to pay for it on his own or he had a friend in the show and you know once mm -hmm. he moved to new york and then the friend gave mm -hmm. him some you know and there are a ton of developmental there. studies with children too showing that if you don't introduce arts by around the third grade the odds of them having a relationship to them super decrease and that's all about mm -hmm. who has good preschool and who has good early education and that's such a class barrier. That's such a privilege. It, I don't know, it's just discouraging also because I, again, like when we, our schools do funding and stuff, they're like, well, we'll give whatever's left to the arts, essentially. Yeah. Or like there's bigger things to worry about. Or we're seeing a world where schools in pandemic, they made sure we could play sports again. They made sure you can get right on up against each other and they're not worried about them social distancing, but they have never once thought about bringing the theater department back. And you know, those kids need it and want it and are being deprived of it. Me, I'm kids. Yeah, it's me. I'm currently finishing my BA and our football team plays and our volleyball team has been meeting on campus. I've seen them on campus. And you know what I do? I log into my little Zoom acting school. I pretend I'm not depressed and I act against a camera. <laughs> I love that. I, I really do. I, I, I love that so much because it's it's needed. It's and and the arts and entertainment. I was just saying this earlier. Um but it's it's so needed, it's so imperative in, in, in this field. Uh and I will even venture to say with um with black people. I, I have a, a chapter in my book, um, POC and white spaces. Um and me being a, a person of color, primarily a black person, I try not mm -hmm. to use people of color, but we can all, we all have, we all know the feeling that all, all of us mm -hmm. POC mm -hmm. know, know a particular feeling. But as a black person in this career field, uh, I really do think it's so important to have that available for us. And one of the reasons why is I, I, I've had this uh, theory. And the theory is, if you've ever looked at shows, and this is this is something you don't necessarily, I won't put you on blast, but we've all seen those shows where, you know, we see the black character and they're very one dimensional. 
And it's not necessarily, it may not even be because of the actor, uh, the actor's vocabulary in, in their, their field, but it could be that it's written poorly. It also could be that their vocabulary isn't uh, as big as... What do you mean by vocabulary? I, I, I mean the, uh, the way in which I can uh, be a character. Capacity. Uh, the way, oh, okay. Sorry, I uh, the way in which I can communicate the character. And so, you know, with the technique. Uh, the Great word. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Look, y'all, she um, don't play. She's a great vocal coach. <laughs> she's a great acting coach. Really plug and cherish Love Robinson, left and right. I love you. But my my theory is one of the reasons why you probably thought they were one dimensional was one, not only just because they were, but because our voices have been muted for so long. And mm. we have been told that our voices don't matter for so long as a person. So that when we go and try and be someone else, we don't know what the fuck to do. We have no idea how to be someone else because we don't even know how to be ourselves. And so it's so oh. important to bring those arts and uh, the, the arts back in strategically, systematically underfunded schools, mm. not low income schools, because it's strategically unfunded. It's strategically yep. underfunded. Uh-huh. But to bring those 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 things back, that, 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 that's actually what my mentor wrote. He was like, uh, what did he say? He said, replace low income schools with strategically systematically underfunded school and see how that sentence feels anyway that that is what i feel why the arts needs to be why music and the arts need to be back in in schools because it gives them a voice and it gives them a place of oh uh, of imagination and and mm-hmm. and again our imagination is 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 stifled right now, especially mm-hmm. people of color, because these systematically, strategically, or strategically systematic underfunded schools have made it uh, where we are not receiving the arts, where we don't receive art. So it's hard to be someone else when we don't know who we are. And I, I think that's mm-hmm. why it's so important. So that's my theory as to why I you get on stage and you see these Black actors not, you know, they, they've got this wall. You, you can tell that they're not going deeper into this, this particular character. It's because they barely know who they are themselves. And then because they don't know who they are, they don't even know how to be somebody else. Yeah. And act, and as somebody who's had a pretty extensive amount of acting training at this point, no part of acting training ever focuses on making sure that you take care of yourself at all in any emotional or mental space like it's hi Abby. I'd like to welcome you to uh, my book that will be out. No, and I think Cherish, you're the first like active working artist we've had on the pod too. We've had a lot of students that's on the pod, but you are our first working artist, and I think that's also really important as just as we discuss all of these things because also so many of them are in abstract like we can talk about actors put out of work and artists like sitting around right now and how like no one is taking care of them or helping them particularly and that's what i that's what this book does it tells you what to do in moments of ambivalence it's not just about Mm -hmm. what i'm doing when it's time there's a thing it's preparation and 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 release some people are good at, at the preparation. Some good are, are, are mm-hmm. people, some people are good on stage and 
all of those things are beautiful. They really are. But at the end of the day, you in this world now, we've got to be good at both. We've got to be good at our mm. preparation and then we've got to be good at the time of release. And so this, and I think this that's also why deals with that. Yeah, because I think a lot of people too really deny the work that take that it takes to be a working artist and the hustle that that is it's seen by non-artists as this very like lackadaisical oh so you're just going to be an artist type thing meanwhile like everyone's waking up at 4 a.m for open calls and they've been to the gym and they're there in the mornings and they're working in the evenings and they're dancing on the weekends and going to all their classes and not only that but who did who did they say who did those same people turn to in their Uh. moment of ambivalence they turn to us artists. They turn to TV. They turn to books. They turn to painting. They turn to YouTube. They turn to artists to get them through their particular moment of ambivalence. And isn't that what art is? To, mm-hmm. again, to take you out of your real world into this fantasy world and show you what truth is in a, in a colorful manner. That is literally art. And because I, because of that, that's why it's so important. And that's why it's so important to take care of, uh, to take care of it and take care of the people that are, that are feeding you. And, and this is one of the biggest things that I'm super passionate about. And, And if you artists who are any artists listening to this podcast right now, under the sound of my voice, Understand Millions. who you are is not what you do. Who you are isn't what I do. Who I am has nothing to do with who I am because the, who has nothing to do with what I do. Because the moment what I do is compromised, then that bleeds into the who I am and then I'm nobody. And, mm. and that's not true. I am so much of everything. I am the sum of, of, of everything I have experienced in my life of, you know, my generation, my parents, my ancestors. I am the sum of that. And that has absolutely nothing to, to, to do with what I do. And that's why yeah. these two worlds have to, have, they have to, they have to be separate. They can coexist, but they have to be separate. And I'm so passionate about artists knowing that knowing that first we are not what we do because again the moment that is compromised my ego says i'm unimportant my ego says i'm non-essential that's not true mm-hmm. i'm you are so much more you are loving you are kind you are light you are loved what you do is is the cherry on the mountain yeah we so last week we did sweet charity which was the first time we talked about some of fossies like historic rehearsal practices and the overworking of the actor and how that got ingrained into the culture. So it's it's interesting to hear you say that coming off that last week. I think that's a really important and interesting addition. And it really helps me yeah, take care of myself. It really yeah. helps me take care of myself. It, it helps me feel my self-love cup up to the point where, and, it, and again, that sounds cliche too. It sounds, you know, really yoga-ish. It's a cliche that I like. Yeah, we're, it's, it's look, it's a cliche for a reason. My, my therapist is happy that I'm listening to this conversation. Yes. I, I mean, we if if 2020 taught us anything, it 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 really put on display that I need to know who the hell I am before I get my what to do involved. Oh, I, that's I, I true. It that is I what can, the year has taught me, folks. It's it, true. You know what I mean? I, I've got to know who I am, and I've got to be so secure there 
that that what I do is an added bonus to who I am. And and yeah, overwork is overcompensating. Never forget. Which is why, and and again, the over uh, that that what you just said is why I try not to look at all of the other things I do as a multi-hyphenate, as a hustle. Because I don't mm. want money to be just the priority. I want the art to be on display. I want what mm-hmm. I need you to get. I want, I mean, us artists, we are keepers of emotion. We're the keepers of it. Mm. We know what, we know how to tell, we know how to tell an audience what bravery sounds like when I'm singing. You know, an mm-hmm. artist, a painter knows how to paint sadness. We are keepers mm-hmm. of the emotion. And we, and because of that, if we're not careful, we can go off the deep end with our own emotions. But, and that's why it's so important that that's literally the, 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 the thesis of my book, finding clarity through your artistry. That is the beginning chapter. It's called self-discovery. Who the hell are you and why are you? Mm-hmm. And 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 let's answer let's ask some questions, let's answer them, and let's get that out the way so you can know how to deal with competition. You can know the difference between critique and judgment. You can know all of these things and, and be able to be okay and know how yourself and your higher self can take care of it. And I wish so badly that I had that when I was auditioning for performance programs too. I was so badly that I even came close to grasping that concept while I was forced to kind of like sell myself to different programs. Yeah, I think and listeners, you might think that this has nothing to do with passing strange, but I personally think that this this conversation. No, I think it has everything to do with passing strange is exactly what passing strange is about. It's about this boy who is called youth. He just he has to learn who he is and he is so consumed by the thought that who he is is everything that his mother and the world that he grew up in was not that he runs so far away from it that he's not there when she dies and she and he doesn't hear her when she tries to call him and say i'm dying she doesn't say it on the phone but it's it was so viscerally clear that that's what she was trying to say and i was even when we were when i was just watching it by myself i was like oh she's dying and if she didn't say it, and then at the end of the show, she died. And I was like, I called it. I told you. Mm-hmm. Me to my squishmallow in the corner. I told you, <laughs> Henley. Yeah, and I think uh, that kind of played to like what we miss when we're following certain voices and not others and what we tap into. And I really think that's the essence of the show. And I think the music helped move that. And while our normal structure is to go through it linearly, song by song, I feel like the show was just meant to kind of prompt discussions like this. And to kind of grapple with these questions, especially as as I would like to see more work like this going forward. We talk about like what the Broadway we return to will look like and will it need to sell tickets so badly that it's going to be all the movie adaptations in the world? Or are we going to give new voices and new platforms a chance with it? Which I'll be interested to see what happens. I'm unfortunately a little convinced that it's going to be like Disney World, but Broadway. Yeah, another, I think on that same point, Cassidy, another big part of the reason this show is a fly for me and that some of the research that I was doing in that same interview that Stu said, 
uh, they considered when they're when they were moving to Broadway, their producers were like, all right, do we want to bring some big names onto this and change out the actors who had been at Berkeley Rep and then had moved with the show to the public? And Stu, Stu says that it was like a non-negotiable the whole time and that it was going to be that group of people and that they had formed a specific bond and that they understood the story together. Which is important, too, because we have the prom coming up and they did the exact opposite of that. Yeah, they recast. But I just everyone. think that's so. I think they put value in their actors, and when you put value in people, they show you why you're va- why they are valuable. And I think that this show might have been a little bit smaller and didn't make as much money. But if that was, if we started putting value in artists, artists would be able to show us why they're valuable. Yeah, bullshitters, I was going to take this moment to really encourage y'all because this bootleg is so accessible. It's a clean two parts. If you just Google Passing Strange, Spike Lee, it will come up on YouTube. Take some time this February to, you know, like spend some time with Black Broadway and expose yourself to these stories if you haven't in the past or the platform because our industry just doesn't do a good enough job of lifting that up on its own or making that as accessible. Yeah. And saying, yes, do it anytime. Like, like, yeah, do it anytime. Do, yes. do it anytime. Yeah, the, the reason why I say you're this absolutely is right. I, I, it's I, I just want people to understand that that we we're trying to make black stories just as mainstream as as the other ones because yeah. they really are. They they really are stories that they're universal stories, and it's not just about the only reason why we're saying black is so that we can find a space for everyone. You know, mm-hmm. I, I would say mm-hmm. Asian because I want to make sure that yeah. the, that Asian people are, have have a space too. But anytime you can, you know, it, 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 we get to celebrate Black History Month by way of this. But you know, find those moments, find those moments any time of the year. It, just open yourself up to the art. I think that's I huge think at any not. time. And look, like, sir, it's not it. It might not always be delivered to you as easily packaged as some of the other media you are getting too. So take that time to ask questions. When you watch something, say, who made it? Who wrote this? Where can I find, you know, what can I look into about? Yeah. I, specificity creates universality. And a well-known professor at USC, unfortunately, I haven't taken classes with him. Luis Alfaro always says that there's actually more room in the industry than they want you to think. Yes. They want you to think that everything is so pigeonholed and that like, that's why they only promote promote white stories because it's more beneficial or whatever. But then stories come along like Black Panther or Passing Strange that took took audiences for Passing Strange and made box office money with Black Panther and that the world is more open if we all just start to open it together. Yeah. It's crazy. And they think and that I, we won't go and see these shows. Like, black people won't go and see. If if we knew, and I think that's why a lot of black people may not be in, again, the arts, or, you know, specifically in Broadway spaces, like they, like, white people could be, because they won't, they, they don't show us. You know? I, I yeah. think one of the reasons why, um, I really didn't play with dolls when I was little because I didn't see anybody that looked like me. I actually remember thinking, well, the white dolls is for white people anyway. They're not for yeah. mm-hmm. And so I, I I think when I see someone that looks like me on, on stage and they're not the um uh the cartoon version or the um 
what's the word? Not the, not cartoon. Caricature. Yeah, they're not a character. That's what I was using. Mm. Thank you. They're not a character of who I am. A caricature of who I am. That makes me feel so comfortable. And and mm-hmm. I and and that's what it is. And and at the time, that's why I can appreciate these Hattie McDaniel's because they lived in a time and space where the only thing that was afforded to them was a maid and, and to mm-hmm. be made fun of and to have these, you know, these short goofball moments, you know, I don't know nothing about birthing no babies. Mm-hmm. And, and as wonderful as that is for, for that time, it's not where we are anymore. And, and, and my career is an ode to uh, Hattie McDaniels because she mm-hmm. paved the way for me mm-hmm. to, be able to sing, you know, look at my look, no, a sister. She paved the way for me to have these moments. And so I, if you see, if we see us, we're going to gravitate to it. Again, just mm-hmm. like with Black Panther, we saw it. And, and I remember them saying, you know, it'll never sell. And we, it was a number one movie until the number one Marvel movie until, uh, uh, Ultron, right? Um, What's the one where he snapped the Avenger, the uh, Infinity, Ultron. Infinity, oh. Infinity Avengers. That's the biggest one. But it was the biggest one up until then. And it's like, yeah, that's huge. We, we can move some money. Yeah. You just got yeah. to let us see us. You got to <laughs> let us see us in this space. We'll move the money. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's true. Um, Bullshitters, I'd just also like to make a really big plug for Strange Loop. The soundtrack is on Spotify, so accessible and really fantastic, interesting storytelling. Very funny. I really support it. I think it definitely came, I had partial inspiration from this just in knowing how it's set up. It's also a very bare stage and very experimental in ways. Yeah. Any closing thoughts, Cherish? Uh, Of Passing Strange? Uh, Passing Strange, whole bit. I, I I don't have any. I, I, I'm so enjoying our conversation. Hey. Uh, I, I really don't have any. I, I just, I, I hope that um, Passing Strange can uh, look just like reality, that you don't have to learn the lesson, um, you know, a hundred million type of ways to understand or to get to the root of the truth. Hmm. And, the, and because it is Black History Month, I hope you don't have to uh, hear the story of a hundred different stories and think. And also, just want to interject that. This oh, absolutely too, do. It's not, a, you know, you don't have to watch us, uh, what we call struggle porn. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't have to watch us struggle. Mm-hmm. And I love the passing, I love that passing strange didn't let us struggle, you know, as far as slavery. Because we tend to think that that's where our story began when that's actually the middle of our story. As, as well. And that was only a small part of his odyssey was like negotiating his own identity politics. He only had a song or two yeah. about it. I, I love that. I, I, I really do. And I, and I hope that it doesn't take you a thousand ways to try and um, learn the lesson of everyone else's artistry and, and being mm-hmm. open to, to their uh, brand of storytelling. Beautiful folks. Uh, the vocal parallel by Cherish Robinson is coming out when, Cherish? Yeah. I'm probably later on this year. I'm, I'm looking at maybe in August, October. Leo season. 
Beautiful. We will post links as soon as you can pre-order. You guys can find me at, uh, at I Cherish Me on Instagram. Um, and then Cherish Love Robinson, C-H-E-R-I-S-H-L-O-V-E-R-O-B-I-N-S-O-N.com. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. And we will plug Cherish's info on our social media this week. So look out for it. Beautiful. As always, mm -hmm. Abby, take us away with our regular thank yous. Hey, yeah, yeah. First of all, thank you to Cherish for just blowing my mind mm. this evening. Absolutely loved listening to you. Um, loved chatting with you. Thank you so much for being on. Thank you, Cassidy. Thank, thank you, Liza Kay. Thank you to Brian Morales, roommate of the pod. Thank you to our empress, goddess, uh, deity of marketing, Sarah Lassert. And any more things? Thank you. Sh wait, pause. Everybody, please go check out Comedy Bowl. Oh, yes. Me and Cassidy were on an episode with them last season. Season. They're a great group. They're super funny little guys. They're super funny. They record at 7 a.m. So you can hear us be cranky about on it. On Fridays. 7 a.m. on a Friday. I woke up at 6.45 on a Friday during the semester. Whack. I was very cranky. <laughs> it was a great time still. They're that funny. They're that lovely. Very funny. And we're overdue on their shout out because they have been more than kind to us. Beautiful. <laughs> it was such a privilege, Bullshitters, to get to bring my teacher and mentor on the pod today. Cherish has taught Yay. me such good stuff about artistry and life and vocal health and performance. And yeah, mm -hmm. great stuff. Thank you all. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye, Bullshitters.